0: Thank you, Haley. I uh, just wanted to make a short introduction. Uh, for those of you that don't know, this is Amberly Strebeck, And not only is she uh, in, in the company of preachers with me, but she also, we share the same household. And so we have that connection as well. But uh, I just commend her to you during this season of Advent. I told the first service, you know, a guy can really get in trouble comparing his wife to John the Baptist. But uh, at, at the risk of getting in trouble, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, the prophet's... They lose sleep over the word of God. They're, they, they will stay up at night wrestling with God's word, uh, in order to give that to the people in the way that they believe the people will hear it the most. They hear God calling out to people and they want to plead with people to hear that voice. And that's what prophets do. And so Amberly's a perfect voice for that in this season. And, uh, just look forward to the word that she has for us today. So, uh, thank you. That's not fair, y'all. I've even already heard it once. Ah. So Ryan has been talking to us in the season of Advent about consolation, about knowing the consolation of God. And the title of the sermon today is Consolation Through Repentance. And I realize that may sound like a little bit of a contrast, like, you know, let's really get some good rest through jogging. But I, I think there's a connection that we can find. If it seems a little backward to you, it's going to work out well today, because I'm actually going to preach backwards. Yeah, I think I can do it. Um, what we're going to do is I'm, I'm going to start kind of out in the middle of Luke, and we're going to work our way backward through Luke together, Okay. So if you're following along in your Bible and you want to, I'm going to be starting in the seventh chapter of Luke, Luke chapter seven, at the end of the chapter in, uh verses 36 or so and following is a story of when the sinful woman came to the Pharisee's house and anointed Jesus's feet with the perfume. She washed his feet with her tears. She dried them with her hair and she anointed his feet with perfume. Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee whose name apparently is um, Simon. And so as they're eating, this woman comes in and does this beautifully lavish act of love for Jesus. She loves and keeps loving. She serves and keeps serving. Jesus tells that little parable to, to illustrate it. She says, uh, when Simon is sneering and he says, "If Jesus knew who this woman was, he would not let her touch him." But Jesus says, "Simon, if two men were forgiven a debt, one of them owed fifty denarii and one of them owed five hundred, and both debts were canceled, who would be, who would love more?" And Simon says, "Well, I suppose the one who had the greater debt forgiven." And then Jesus looks at the woman and says, and this is our important verse today, verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. See, Jesus has pointed out that Simon didn't meet the bare minimum of being nice to a guest. He says, you didn't give me water for my feet, you didn't give me a kiss of greeting, and you didn't put olive oil on my head, which I grant you is a little weird. (laughs) I very promise not to do any of those things if you come to my house. (laughs) I I won't put any grease on your head. But in the ancient Near Eastern world, this is like, this is bare minimum of being nice to a guest, right? This is, come on in, let me take your coat, do you need a glass of water, would you like to have a seat? And Simon didn't even do any of those things. So he's already incapable of serving and loving, as is pointed out. And this woman who, she doesn't wash his feet with water, she washes with her tears. She doesn't just dry them with a towel, but with her hair. And She doesn't just anoint his head with olive oil, which is like the ketchup of the ancient Near Eastern world, but with an expensive perfume. She loves, and she keeps loving, and she serves, and she keeps serving. And we're told here that there is a direct connection between her capacity to love and serve that way and her capacity to receive forgiveness. And we have to read it a little carefully. The way it's worded, it gets a little tricky, right? It says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. Now, there's one reading and one interpretation of that where it looks like she earned her forgiveness, that she loved and that earned the forgiveness of Jesus. But every commentator I've read says we just have to be careful how we read it. There's a preposition that can be translated differently in here. And really, the way that it reads is more like this. It is obvious to all of us she has been forgiven. Look at how she loves. Please understand, this is not the occasion in which this woman was forgiven. She walked into this room a forgiven person. We're not sure where. We don't get her backstory. It's possible she was baptized by John, which we'll get to in a minute. It's possible she's encountered Jesus before now. But some way or another, this woman came into the room forgiven, and her act of love came from that place. That there is a direct connection between her being forgiven and her capacity to love. And, as we're told, a direct direct connection between Simon's lack of repentance and his incapacity to love. Now, Luke has already told us that this is going to happen, okay? So I told you we were starting at the end and going backwards. So back up. He already told us this was going to happen. So we're in still in chapter 7. Now we're in a different setting. Right before he's at the, we're told about him being at the uh, Pharisee's house, we're told about when Jesus is just, he's with the crowds. At this particular time, John the Baptist is in prison. Herod's put him in prison for speaking out against his marriage to his brother's wife. He got really mad, so he put him in prison. John's in prison, and he's disheartened, and he sends disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one, because this isn't going like I thought it would. And so the disciples come, and Jesus is reassuring them, and he's preaching good news, and he's healing sick, and he is um, restoring the sight of blind people, and he's curing sicknesses and casting out evil spirits. And Luke tells us that there's two different responses in the crowd. Okay, look at verse 29. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. And here's our key right here. Ready? Because they had been baptized by John. The next verse says, but the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So we already told us this was going to happen, right? Now you just have a specific example of those two groups of people. You have Simon the Pharisee, who cannot acknowledge that the way of God was right because he wasn't baptized by John, and the sinful woman who was among the sinners, who can acknowledge that God's way is right because she was baptized by John. But, I mean, why? Like, John's baptism we're 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 christians we believe in the power of god we don't believe that um the waters of the jordan river was some kind of like magic potion that magically did something to him right and we we don't believe that john himself was a sorcerer <laughs> who put a magic spell on somebody at like what particularly about john's baptism made a way for these two different groups of people to respond to jesus like this well back up again this time, we're jumping back a little further. I'm going to go back to uh, the third chapter of Luke. This is the introduction of John the Baptist. The first six or so verses of the third chapter of Luke introduced John the Baptist to us. And again, we're going to do them backwards. We're still going backwards. So we're starting at the end here. Listen to, this is verse 5 and 6. This is the end of a prophecy that was made by Isaiah long ago about John the Baptist. And it describes to us the power of God to make a difference, to make change. Listen. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill made low. I think this is a description of the power of God that the sinful woman had experienced, don't you? That every pit of despair she had been in because of the sin in her life was filled. That every mountain and every hill, every insurmountable obstacle and every tiny little annoying one had been leveled by the power of God. That a woman who had no options and no choices was able to look at a crooked, windy road and see it become straight. To see that there might be a way of hope ahead. And that the rough ways, that the rocky path, that the seemingly impassable, how am I going to survive this life, became something livable because of the power of God. And I want in on that kind of power when I hear something that is that can affect that much change, I want to find out how to say yes. And look back up again. Look at verse 4. It tells us that we can. There's a voice of one calling in the desert, John the Baptist, calling to the people of God, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for Him. We can say yes to that kind of power in our lives. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, John the Baptist wasn't the only one saying that there was a way to prepare the way of the Lord at this point. There were lots of messages about how particularly we could say yes, how you could say yes to preparing the way of the Lord. You had the um, Pharisees, and the Pharisees were saying, prepare the way of the Lord by following the law to the letter. The Pharisees were saying, You had better get everything right to ensure the purity of the nation of Israel so Messiah will come and throw off Roman rule. The Pharisees' message was, shape up and stand out. But then you also had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees had a little bit of a different message. Theirs was more like, let's just see if we can get along with the Roman rulers so that some of us can have a half-decent life while Rome is in charge. Their message was fit in. There was another group called the Zealots. And the Zealots said, prepare the way of the Lord and get ready to fight. Either by uh, covert assassination or by out-and-out warfare, they were ready to ensure the advancement of the kingdom of God by brute force and violence and bloodshed. And their message was armor up. Get ready to fight. And then there was another group, the Essenes, and they had withdrawn to to live in the desert. It's not unlikely that John the Baptist was one of them, actually, that they lived in the desert. Their message was kind of run away. And I don't know that the messages have changed all that much. I don't know that the voices have changed a whole lot, that there would be voices shouting at you and me saying, yes, prepare the way of the Lord. Shape up. Stand out. No, fit in. Just kidding. Fight harder. No, really, just run away. (laughs) And so the unique voice of John the Baptist comes to us. Back up again. Verse 3. He went out into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John says the best way to say yes to life-changing power of God in your life is to repent. We've heard it all of our lives. If you've been near the church for any amount of time, you've heard it said that baptism and repentance go together. But at this point in history, that's really new. It was not a common Jewish practice. So John's voice is unique. And it's shocking that the best way to make a way for the power of God to be effective in our lives is to repent of our sins. And I completely skipped this part in first service, so you all get like bonus here. Um, we're going to cheat once and skip forward just a little bit. Because <laughs> John the Baptist goes on, he starts with, the cult is to everyone to repent. And I don't know about you, but that was sort of, when I first became a Christian, my repentance was like just generally, I'm sorry. And it's a good starting place. It's a really good starting place. But then if you go forward a little bit in the story, in verses 7 down through 15 or so, John says, repent and keep repenting. It gets a little more specific. Certain groups of people are asking him, right? You've got tax collectors saying, what do I do to repent? And and the tax collectors were known for charging too much so that they could keep some for themselves. And John says, stop doing that. And then the soldiers say, what do we do to repent? And the soldiers were known for not feeling like they got paid enough and extorting money from people by force. And Paul said, Stop doing I mean John said, Stop doing that. That the invitation gets specific. But again, we have to be careful. The woman, the sinful woman, did not earn forgiveness by loving much, right? Her loving and serving much was evidence of her being forgiven. I don't think that what John is saying is repent and then keep earning forgiveness by doing all the right things he's saying that repentance isn't a one-time deal and it doesn't get to stay generalized that you repent and keep repenting because it goes I, I some of you have experienced this I know you have because I've seen the way that you love people and I know that repentance is a part of the way that you are in the world it's been my experience right when you first step into the light it's just sort of a generalized like oh, I'm sorry. But the further we walk into the light, the more specificity that we see, right? I know that my husband would appreciate it a whole lot more. Not that it's bad for me to say, I'm sorry I'm hard to live with sometimes, because I kind of am. But our relationship is better, and we're able to love one another better when I can say, I'm really sorry that I was sharp the other day when we were talking about holiday plans. I'm not, I was really stressed, and I shouldn't have taken that out on you. Right, It goes from general to specific. And our relationship and my own maturity is fostered if I can be a person who repents and keeps repenting. But when we start experiencing that life, we start to think of God. We've, I've talked about this before, about how we start seeing God behaving as though it's how we would behave. We do not serve a punitive, petulant, petty we don't. God only ever always acts for her, for our good. And the invitation to repentance is like every other one. It is what's best for us every time. Look at what scripture says about it. Okay. First, back up one verse, verse two. It says, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the desert. Do you remember that in the very first of Luke's Gospel we get the story of Zechariah? This is John's dad. So we're going to back up to his story again. Now I'm backing up to Luke 1. Zechariah was old, as was his wife Elizabeth. They were not expecting to have a child. And when John, I mean, when Zechariah didn't believe the angel that told him of John's birth, he was silent for months. He was unable to speak. And then after John was born and they named him, Zechariah burst forth in a song. And he extols and he praises God for who God is for a few verses. But I want you to listen to what he prays for his son. So I'm in verse, I mean, in chapter 1, verse 76, Zechariah prays for John. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin, listen, because of the tender mercy of our God. Because of his tender mercy. The invitation to repent, does it doesn't say it comes from God's unquenchable blazing anger. From God's perfectly reasonable righteous expectations of his holiness. It is a tender mercy to us, this invitation to move into a life of power, to make a difference through repentance. I'm going to back up one, one more time. And y'all look, I'm going way back. Um, all the way to Isaiah. Because God's been saying this for a long, long time. Isaiah chapter 40 is where the prophecy about John the Baptist came from. Um, you can see it, again, it's right here, it starts in verse 3, right? A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. Like we just heard. But I want you to back up a little bit. The very beginning of the 40th chapter of Isaiah, Listen how it starts. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for. But God's call to repentance is one of comfort, one of consolation. what if if the comfort that I seek when I drive to Sonic and get yet another Coke and cheeseburger and french fries, what if that comfort that I really want from that is through not on the other side of, right in the middle of repentance? What, What if the comfort that I'm looking for when I'm meandering through the mall looking for something? What if what I'm really looking for is found through repentance? What if the comfort that we really long for isn't found in our busy calendars or our many achievements or all the applause that we can garner and it's not at the bottom of a bottle and it's not on Netflix that I've been scrolling through for an hour looking for something, for something. What if a call to become people who can repent and keep repenting leads us to become people who can serve and keep serving and who can love and keep loving the way that we really were created to do? In a moment, we're going to take communion. And as ever, there's an opportunity to confess again. And I pray that you hear that invitation from God as comfort, all oh my people, that comes out of his tender mercies. Amen.